Well, yesterday in our study, uh, we began looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. And it was a very fundamental study uh, of the person, and we went through it. We, we covered a lot of information, basically, very quickly. And, uh, but one of the, the things that we looked at, we looked at how the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. There is no one like Him. There's only one Holy Spirit. We looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, right? He is God. Uh, he's not just an it or an active force or just merely an energy or electricity or a goosebump or chicken skin. He's none of that stuff, just all that stuff. He is God. And as well, he is a person, a person that lives on the inside. Oh, it's hard for us to comprehend sometimes how the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, right? But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19 that we are the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. He resides in us. We were bought with a price. And Paul said, therefore, we are not our own. We're, we, you don't even own yourself. God owns us today. Oh, bought with the blood of Jesus. And so we looked at that, and one of the things that we really didn't deal with yesterday, I just want to touch on briefly today as we begin, uh, is how the Holy Spirit, as a person in us, He speaks to us. He speaks to us. I think of Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. In Acts 13 and verse 2, when it says that the uh, disciples and there were prophets that were there, and Paul and Barnabas were there in Antioch, that Gentile city, and they were fasting and they were ministering and they were praying unto the Lord. And the, the Bible says that in, the, in that kind of atmosphere, that the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Thank God the Holy Spirit speaks. Amen. Thank God he speaks. And today and every day of our life, the Holy Spirit will also speak to us. It may, it's not going to be some audible voice from heaven, but it will be that still, quiet voice in our spirit. And we know it's the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is the one that leads us into all truth. Amen. And so today, we're going to pick up with our study, looking, beginning, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And then we're going to take a look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, in the child of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today in the name of Jesus. And God, we're so thankful that, Lord, you're such a good God. We thank you, Lord, for all the things that you've done for us. For, Lord, we have everything to be thankful for today. You have given us everything, Father. And, Lord, today we ask you for your anointing to minister and your anointing to, to receive and your anointing for it to be made real to us, and we say it all in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. If you could please turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, the book of John chapter 6 and verse 44, and as we begin our study this morning, we're going to take a look again at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, and there are two main things we see in the Bible and you could probably break this down even more than just two, but I'm going to summarize it in two main things that the Holy Spirit does mainly in the world or in the unbeliever. And in John 6 and verse 44, John or Jesus 
explains, first of all, what he does. John 6, 44, if you're there, say amen. And Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Get that? Draw him. No man can get saved, is the idea, unless my Father draw him. Now, I know the word Holy Spirit is not used in this passage, but the idea there is that the Father does it through the working and through the operation of his Holy Spirit. Go to John 12, if you would. John 12 and verse 32. And this is a verse I know you all know. Oh, it's a good one. John 12 and verse 32, where Jesus said this. He said, and I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And when he talked about being lifted up from the earth, he was speaking of the cross, right? He was speaking of the cross, and he said this, that if I'm lifted up, if I go to the cross and I lay my life down as the as sacrifice for man's redemption, he said, I will draw all men unto me. And the idea there, and I know you know this, but the idea is not that all people are going to be saved, but the idea is that he will draw people from all people groups. You get that? He will, he will draw a remnant out of every nation, out of every people group on the face of the earth. He will draw all people unto him. And thank God you and I this morning are here this morning because the Holy Spirit drew us unto him, drew us unto Jesus. And one of the main works of the Holy Spirit in this world is that, of that drawing uh, man to Jesus. Now get this, the word picture behind that word draw is, it's like a fisherman in it, and he throws out a net into the water. And that net goes on the water, and, and, and when the, as the fish get closer to that net, that fisherman draws in the net. You get that? He throws it out in the water. The fish swim near it, and he pulls the cord and draws that net around the fish. That is the word picture behind the idea of drawing that that's, in a sense, what the Holy Spirit did to us when we first got saved. He drew us. He put his gospel net around us. He put his Holy Spirit conviction net around us. Oh, oh thank God that we got caught. <laughs> we got caught. We were just like a little fish swimming in this world, swimming in our sin, doing our own thing. But the Holy Ghost spread a net for us. Oh, he spread a net for us. And we swam in it. In our, and he caught us. He pulled the cord and caught us in his gospel net. Thank God for that. Oh, there ain't nothing like being caught by the Holy Spirit. And so... That is the main work of the Holy Spirit. Another work that we see the Holy Spirit does in the world is in John chapter 16. Why don't you go there if you would, John 16. And all these verses are in the Gospel of John. In John 16, verses 8 through 11, and we see another main work of the Holy Spirit in the world, in unbelievers. In this drawing work of the Holy Spirit and this next work, they go hand in hand, one with another. And in John 16, verse 8, it says, and when he is come, as the Holy Spirit, he will reprove. 
The word reprove could mean convict or prove wrong. The world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judge. Gets us the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, in the unsaved individual, is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You get that? The Holy Spirit convicts the individual, and the word convict, could, the idea is to prove wrong. It is a judicial term, like in a court of law. And, a, and an individual is proven to be wrong. He's proven to be guilty. Now that's a negative, but it is a positive all at the same time. Because the Holy Spirit proves through his working, through his, his drawing, through, again, through his working on the individual heart of a man through us today. He proved to us that we were wrong, but God was right. Hallelujah. He proved to us that we were a sinner and Christ is the Savior. That, that we were wrong, that we are guilty, and we need someone to wash our guilt away. We need someone to help us. And that only one is Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of an individual. He draws, he convicts, he proves that, 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 that individual that we are wrong, that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now he said that he convicts the world of sin. And the, and the word sin, it just simply means disobedience against God. And get the sin is, is mankind's main problem. It is in reality sin. Disobedience against God is the cause of all of mankind's problems. Get that? It is the cause of all of mankind's problems. Environment can be an issue. Educa lack of education can be an issue. Uh, lack of money can be an issue. But all those things are not the cause of man's problem. Ultimately, it is sin. Disobedience, disobedience against God. And what Jesus did for us at Calvary is the only cure for the cause, and that's sin. You know, in the, when we look at the cross, we see three things, really. We see these things that Jesus outlined here. But when we look at the cross and when we look at what Jesus Christ and what he did for us, we realize that sin is the cause of all of man's problems, right? We see that what Jesus did for us at Calvary is the cure to all of man's problems. He is the cure. The righteousness of God manifested towards us at Calvary, that is the cure. You and I today, we need his righteousness. The person who is unsaved needs the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God was culminated in what Jesus did at Calvary. It is finished. That is what is right in the eyes of God. And that is the only thing that can cure man's wicked heart. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the person 
of sin and of righteousness. That righteousness is the cure, that Jesus is the cure. But secondly, he, or thirdly, he said he will convict the individual of, of judgment. And judgment means this, that judgment is ultimately, it is the ultimate conclusion for the person if they don't receive the cure. Get that? That judgment is the conclusion if they don't receive the cure. And there is an ultimate judgment for every person who does not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And and get this, a major part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to deal with the person that 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 they cannot make it without Jesus. Get that? That they cannot make it without Jesus. And a major part of the pulpit ministry, of the fivefold ministry, is to make people understand and realize that there is a judgment that is coming if you do not make it right with God. If a person doesn't have that relationship with Jesus, there is a judgment that is coming. There is a real hell. There is a real lake of fire. Mm, I know that's not, that, that's, that's kind of heavy in the morning. <laughs> But there's a real judgment. And Jesus said that they will convict the world, that he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Thank God this morning that for the person for us here today that has accepted the cure to the problem, there is no judgment up ahead for us. Hallelujah. And not in that sense. There is no lake of fire up ahead for us. There is no hellfire up ahead for us. There is no wrath of God up ahead for us. But salvation through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in the world could be summarized in those two, those two main ways. He draws the sinner and he convicts the sinner of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. But what I want to deal for the most part today is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. The work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, in you and I. I mentioned it last night, but as it concerns the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, everything that God does in our life, if it's truly a work of God, he does it through the moving, through the operation, through the working of his Holy Spirit in us. Everything, if it's from God, it's by his Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah, it is by his Holy Spirit. He gave that principle to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Zechariah was leading the work to rebuild the temple. He told Zechariah that it's not by might, it's not by human power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, glory to God. And I tell you, if it's God, get this, if it is really God, then it is done by the moving and operation, the work, the inner work of the Holy Spirit. Now, knowing that is so critically important. But I want to summarize the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives in, in three main works. Because even though the Holy Spirit does everything in our life as a believer, there are three main works of the Holy Spirit in our life that I want to summarize to you this morning. And that first one is the indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
You ever heard of that term before, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? It's just a a man-made term. But what that refers to, that term, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it refers to the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that comes and makes his home in the life of the believer. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Again, that abiding presence in the life of a believer in which he makes us his home. I think the knowledge of that sometimes goes way, way beyond our head because when we look at ourselves, it's hard for us to comprehend sometimes because we see our failures, right? We see our inconsistencies. We see our mess ups and we think, how could I be a home of the Holy Spirit? But we are. Oh, we are. The Holy Spirit is a loving Holy Spirit. He's a patient Holy Spirit. Even he loves us. He cares for us. And we are not some hotel for the Holy Spirit. We are his home. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He lives on the inside. In the good days, he's, all, he's always there. On the bad days, he's there. When you, ladies, when you have a bad hair day, he's on the inside still. <laughs> Guys, when you get a flat tire and you're on your way to work, he's there. He's there to comfort. He's there to strengthen. He's there to remind you of the truth. Get that? The Holy Spirit is there on the inside to remind you, to bring to your remembrance the truth. Because you can face a situation, you'll face an obstacle, and your flesh will automatically start thinking, ah, thinking wrong. But the Holy Spirit within you will correct your stinking thinking and tell you, no, that ain't the truth, but this is the truth. Your God has got you in his hand. Your God will take care of you. Your God will supply all of your need. Jesus is enough. His grace is enough. Oh, glory to God. Who will do that? Who will do that? The Holy Ghost will do that. Because your preacher ain't always going to be there. The ministry ain't always going to be there. You're not going to always be able to pull out a commentary. You're not going to be able to even have the expositor. You're not going to have the internet there. But you always, excuse my bad terminology, but you've always got, you always got the Holy Ghost there. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Oh, we looked at it yesterday, but Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? I can't go anywhere without your spirit. Oh, thank the Lord. And so one of the main works of the Holy Spirit in us as a believer is his indwelling. And that indwelling, get this, began when you and I first got saved. When you and I, when you first accepted Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior and Lord. At that very moment, in a spiritual second, the Holy Spirit came in. 
He regenerated you. You became a new creature in Christ Jesus. And at that moment, you, you were no longer a child of wrath, no longer a child of the enemy, but now you were a child of God and you had the Spirit of God on the inside, living on the inside of you. You received this indwelling. The second main work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, and this is a huge one, is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling, number one, number two, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. What does that refer to? Well, it refers to this. It refers to that progressive inner work of the Holy Spirit changing the believer into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. It could be said many different ways, but I'm, I'm saying it this way, that it refers to that progressive work, inner work, of the Holy Spirit changing the believer into the character, into the image of Jesus Christ. It is a progressive work. The moment you and I first said yes to Jesus is when that sanctifying work began. Get that? When that sanctifying work began, he began to little by little, by one step at a time, begin to conform our mind, conform our thinking, conform our spirit into the image of Jesus Christ. Get this, it's a progressive work. And in that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, he is going to clean up the mess of, uh, uh, the, the, the mess of our own flesh, if I could call it that. You see, through the fall of man, through Adam's sin that we were born into, original sin, we've got a lot on the inside, even our own heart, get this, as a saved individual, as a child of God, our heart is deceitfully wicked. There is, as Brother Swagger says sometimes, that we have the residue of the fall. Get that? In our own spirit, even as a child of God, we've got the residue of the fall. There's a lot of effects of the fall, even in our own mind, our own spirit, as a child of God. It's called sometimes the hanging vines of the fall, that there's still some vines hanging from the fall, even as our life as a child of God. But that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is cleaning up that residue. Get that? It's cleaning up and cutting those hanging vines of the fall that are still hanging. That residue that's still there. And that residue, if I can summarize in this way, it's self. Get that? It is stinking, rotten flesh. It is self, our own self. Our own self-righteousness. Our own self-dependence. Our own self uh, conceitedness, our own pride, and uh, I, I don't know if anyone would think this today, but you may think, or some may think, that well, I don't, well, I don't, I'm saved. I don't have that no more. I don't have any any self to deal. I don't have any flesh to deal with. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm 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 perfect. I don't know if anyone would think that, but if you are, you are wrong. Excuse my voice. <laughs> You are wrong. We have a flesh. Paul outlined it in Galatians 5 and verse 16. He said that if you walk according to the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Even as a child of God, we get that. We have that struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And get this, the flesh, our own stinking rotten flesh, our own self will pull us into the, into the direction of depending upon ourself. Of anything self you can think of, self-righteousness, self-dependence, a focus on ourself. That's what the flesh will pull us in that direction of self, 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 me, 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 I, I, I. And flesh can be so religious. Get that? Me, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm performing well. Me, 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 I, I, I. And many times our flesh is veiled with that cloth, cloth of sincerity. Get that? But it is, if it's not the direction of the Spirit, that it is flesh. But get this, the Holy Spirit is just the opposite. He will pull us into the, into, in the direction of putting our trust totally and completely in Jesus Christ in Jesus and what Jesus did for us at Calvary. The flesh pulls us toward the self. The spirit pulls us towards the finished work of Calvary, pulls us towards Jesus. Jesus. Dependence upon his work and not our own. Oh, and when our dependence is in his work and not our own, that's when victory and can really come. That's when the sanctification process really kicks in. Oh, thank God for this, that when we do trust in ourselves, because all of us are flesh, amen? The Bible says the Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are flesh. And when we go our own direction, we do depend upon ourselves. The Lord is so patient with us. You know what? He'll allow us to go through a trial. He'll allow, and you know, a trial, when I say a trial, it doesn't mean, it, it doesn't mean it's going to last for a month. It could just last for an hour. Get that? A trial could just last for a few minutes. But that trial, that, that, that time of testing will draw, will, is meant and designed by God to pull us back to show us, you know what, I'm, trust, I'm not trusting in Christ as I ought to. I'm trusting in myself, and I need to go back to Calvary. I need to go back to trusting exclusively in Christ and his work and not my own. And so that, that, the, the second main work of the Holy Spirit in our life is that sanctifying work. Go in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Oh, this is a good one. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And Paul, if you've got an expositor, it's on page 2036. And it says, Paul says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass or in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He said, as beholding in a glass, we, we, are, we are looking into Christ. We are looking into the cross, if I could say it that way. We're looking to Calvary. 
But we are still, we're looking in a mirror. We are still in our flesh. And so our vision is marred to a certain extent because of our flesh, but we are still looking to Christ. And what he does, he said, from glory to glory, he changes us into the image of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of the Lord. Today, the Holy Spirit is doing an incredible divine work in you. You get that? Today, November 27th, 2009, the Holy Spirit today is doing a special divine work in you. Sometimes we lose sight of that, we forget about that. We get so focused on, on what we're doing, we get so focused on the, the business of life, and we forget to realize, you know what? The Holy Spirit's doing a work in me today. He is in me, and he's doing a work in me, that sanctifying work, drawing me closer to Jesus, conforming me, warming me into the, the character of Jesus Christ. The third main work the Holy Spirit does, and we're, we're, we're going to deal with this a lot tomorrow, and only briefly today, the third main work, though, is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to the, as the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But that baptism with the Holy Spirit refers to that event after we are saved. It is not a requirement to be saved, but after we are saved, after we believe in Jesus, and that could be a second after we believe, or it could be years after we believe. But after we believe in Jesus Christ, he baptizes the believer just like he did in Acts chapter 2. He baptizes the believer with the power of the Holy Spirit. He fills the believer, the child of God, with his power, and he does it mainly, mainly for service. And there's different pe people that have different thoughts on, oh, what the baptism is for. For what I've seen in the Bible, it's power for service. It's power to do what God has called us to do. He said, you, when you receive power, you shall be witnesses. Now, it's going to affect who you are, but it will also affect what God has called you to do. It will give you the power to do what God has called you to do. And I'll say it this way, that if a believer is not baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, they cannot do ultimately what God has called them to do. Get that? I said they cannot ultimately do all that God has called them to do without the power of the Holy Spirit working through them, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to do this more tomorrow, but the initial physical evidence of the baptism, of course, is speaking in tongues. But sometimes we as Pentecostals, we get so focused on that initial physical evidence that we lose sight of what it's all about. Because the baptism of the Spirit is not all about tongues. It's all about power. Get that? It's all about the power of God filling us from head to toe. Because even though I thank the Lord for tongues, I thank God for that speaking in that heavenly language and being able to pray and worship, and I thank God for tongues and that, and that precious gift, of, I thank God for it. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus did not say, and you shall receive tongues, and you shall be witnesses. He said, you shall receive power. 
And I think of it this way, we have to be careful, even though, even though tongues is the initial physical evidence that we don't get so focused on the tongues and lose sight of the power. It's like buying a pair of shoes, I think, in a sense. You know, when you buy a pair of shoes, the tongues come with it, right? When you buy a pair of shoes, the tongues come with it. But you don't buy a pair of shoes because you love the tongues, right? Uh, You buy the pair of shoes because the shoes that you need. And you and I today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need all, we need all the results of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the tongues, get that? We need his joy that comes with the baptism. We need that, that, that different level of worship that comes with the baptism. We need that deeper level of prayer that comes with the baptism. We need it all, but get this, it all comes with the power. Oh, hallelujah. It all comes with the power. Oh, I will never forget it. As several years ago, I was studying the, uh, the great Welsh revival. And I've taught in the Bible college for many years, the history of the Pentecostal movement and some of the major revivals. And the Welsh revival in particular, I saw a cartoon uh, or an artist's rendering of, a, of an altar call. And an artist had drew a picture by hand of a people that surrounded a typical altar at the Welsh Revival. And at the altar, there were people that were crying out. Some people were crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. Others were crying out, Lord, I love you. Others were crying out, Jesus, I need you. But other, what was interesting is that several, and again, this was an artist's rendition of a typical altar, but it was like three or four people that were crying out these words, Lord, send the power. (laughs) Lord, send the power. Lord, send the power. And what they meant by that is the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, when you and I as a believer or a church corporately has the power of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, the power will lift up Jesus. The power will reveal Jesus. The power will convict of sin. The power of the Holy Spirit will do everything that is needed. Lord, send your power. Amen. As it concerns the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, again, it is so important that we know that everything that happens in our life is done by the moving and operation of the Spirit. But get this, what is even more important than that, get this so critical, what is even more important than just knowing what he does is how he does it. Do you hear that today? What's even more important than knowing what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer is knowing how the Holy Spirit does it. Anybody can stand behind a pulpit and tell people, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, stop letting sin reign in your life, be holy for crying out loud. Read your Bible, pray. Anybody can stand behind a pulpit and tell people what to do. But what is lacking so much in the church today is knowing or having the how to do the what to do. Get that? 
having the correct how to do the what to do. And Donnie mentioned it last night, Brother Donnie mentioned it last night in the message that there in today's church, there are many how-tos. Get that? You go to a Christian bookstore and you're going to find a lot of how-to books. How to walk in the Spirit. How to have victory. How to this. How to that. But there is only one correct how to. I know for years this confused me as a child of God. It confused me for years because I would watch Christian television. I I went to the Christian bookstores. I kind of felt my way through the Christian world and, and, and it seemed like everyone, every preacher had a different how to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It seemed like everybody had a different how to. Pastor so-and-so, his how-to had three steps. But evangelist so-and-so, his how-to had seven steps. Oh. And ministry over there, they had, they had ten steps. Or and, uh, and this, minute, this preacher said, well, you got to have a worship CD. You get this worship CD, and you worship, play the worship CD for, for, you know, for 30 minutes, and then read this particular scripture and say it over and over again for a minute. And then, and then at, on the 32nd minute, you will step into the spirit. And it seemed like everyone had a different how-to. And get this, it was confusing. And for the child of God who is hungry and thirsty for God, they're sincere and they want victory. You know what can happen, I know what happened with me and, it, and began to settle in my own spirit. I began to think for several years, well, I guess, I guess you have to just find whatever works for you. That's what I know, I can say, that's my own testimony. That's what I began to think as I viewed all the different how-tos. And I struggled with the issues of my own heart. Indeed, I realized it then, but it was a sin nature in my own life that I was trying to, that I was trying to, to, to suppress and to win the battle over. And I got to a place of I thought, well, I guess you just have to, it's like a puzzle. You just have to kind of try to find the piece that fits. And I haven't found the piece that fits yet. And so I just, I guess I had to keep on trying. Keep on trying. And so many believers today are in that place spiritually. They view their victory as if it's some kind of puzzle. And they're trying to find the right piece. Does this piece work? Does 30 30 minutes of prayer, is that the piece that works? Is is me, uh, you know, maybe I'm coming coming to church four times a week instead of three. Is that the puzzle? Confessing the scripture for an hour a day. It may, is that the puzzle? So many people, believers that love God, are in that place today where they're trying to find victory. They're trying to find the right how-to, but they're losing and they're not finding it. Get this, there is only one right how-to. There's only one right how-to. And that right how-to, in a nutshell, It's our simple dependence, our simple faith 
in Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. That is the key that unlocks the door. Get that? That is the key that unlocks the door to his endless grace, to his endless riches for us as a child of God. It's not just the key that opens the door for us to be saved, but our simple faith in the cross and what he did for us at Calvary is the key that opens the door for all the benefits of Calvary to be made real to us. You know, I want to take a look at some this morning that, that, could, be, uh, that could be dealt with a, for, for months And it's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. And if you could turn there, please, in your Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. And I think that the key to understanding how the Holy Spirit works in our lives is understanding this law. Get this? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, Paul outline and he gave us a law, a spiritual, unchangeable, irrevocable law of God. Romans 8, 2, if you're there, say amen. amen. And Paul said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He said, this is a law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And get this, the law of sin and death speaks of the sin nature that resides in man. It speaks of that original sin that you and I were born in. That we were born in sin and we were born under sin's penalty. We were born under sin's power. The law of sin and death. It is a spiritual law. No man can get around it. You get that? It's too high to get over it. It's too low to get under it. It's too wide to get around it. It's a spiritual law that every man is born under. That law of sin and death. This principle of the sin nature that resides in man and the ultimate conclusion, which is death. The way that Paul described it here is that there is only one law that is more powerful than the law of sin and death. There's only one. And that law is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, with that said, what does that mean? (laughs) What is the law of the spirit of life? in Christ Jesus. I'm going to summarize it with two statements here as it concerns the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus because this, it is a law. Paul described it as, that, as a law, and I get it, it's a law of God. It's unbreakable, it's irrevocable, irreversible. Get this, it is a law of God. But first of all, this says it concerns this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Get this. This law establishes the spiritual boundaries that the Holy Spirit works within. Get this? When you have a law, a law always sets boundaries, even in the natural, a civil law, or any law, a speed limit law. It sets, in a sense, a boundary. 
If you go beyond this point, you are breaking the law, right? A law sets a boundary. This morning I want to use this, this octagon here, if I could you do that. This, uh, just view this octagon and everything in this octagon here as Christ Jesus. Paul said that the law, this law is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this octagon would be, that's, that's Christ, that's in Christ Jesus. This law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, what it does is it sets the boundaries. Here's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It goes all the way around. It establishes the parameters, the boundaries by which the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit only works within these boundaries. Does that make sense? He only works within these limitations right here. In Christ Jesus. So the idea is the Holy Spirit won't work out here. He can't work out here. He cannot make real the benefits of Calvary if we are out here, but he can in here because it's in Christ Jesus. He sets the limitations. And this spiritual law, again, establishes the boundaries by which the Holy Spirit works within. But get this, as well, this law gives the Holy Spirit the legal right to make real all the benefits of the cross to the believer. You see, in laws, laws not only set limitations, but a good law will give you freedom. We have laws in our country that give us freedom. You, you, hello, you, you know what I'm saying? There are good law, there are bad laws, and there are good laws. This is a good law. And in this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there is life. Get this. There is life, but yet there are limitations. There is freedom, but yet there are boundaries. There is liberty, but yet there's a line drawn in the sand. Get that this morning. Again, there is life, but yet there's limitations. There's freedom, but yet there's a boundary. There's liberty, but yet there is a line drawn in the sand that says if you go beyond that line, you don't have liberty. You can experience life. It sets the boundaries. And it gives the Holy Spirit the legal right, because it's a law, the legal right to make real all that we have in Christ Jesus. Now get this, when you and I first got saved, and this is just an example here, an illustration, and there's no perfect illustration, but when you and I first got saved, and just view if that pulpit right there, if you would, view the pulpit as, as Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. There it is right there in front of you. Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. The inner, the work of the Holy Spirit, he drew us, he pulled us into Jesus, right? We saw, he, he showed us in a sense, he showed us Jesus, and we saw it. And we believed. We took a step of faith. And by simple faith in what Jesus did for us at the cross, get that? By simple faith in Jesus, for by grace are ye saved through faith. By simple faith, what happened? We just took one step 
and we stepped out of our sin and we stepped right into Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. There's sin out there. You're all in sin right this morning. But there's sin out there. Sin. We're like little fishes out in the world, out in our sin. The Holy Spirit draws us in. Get that? We're drawn in by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And with one step of faith, we step out of sin and right into Jesus. Hallelujah. And now, now we are saved. Oh, glory to God. Now we are saved. We're a child of God. We're born again. We're on our way to heaven. We've been caught by the Holy Spirit. And now, especially positionally speaking, positionally speaking, and even conditionally when we first get saved, we are in Christ Jesus. And the object of our faith was Jesus Christ and what he did for me at Calvary. Get this, when you and I first got saved, we realized we couldn't get saved by our own works. We realized we couldn't get saved by anything we did. A person told us about Jesus and we called upon him and he saved us. And the, and the cross was the object of our faith. We didn't know very much, we knew very little. But Jesus, and what he did for us, the cross, that was the object of our faith. We looked to him, he was our focus. You get that? He was our focus. He was the object of our faith, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what he did for me, that's what I look to. But get this, as a child of God, mature, and it, mature is not the right word, but as we go on in years after we first get saved, what happens is through ignorance or through false teaching that we receive, get this, or through just flat out pride of our own, or a mixture of all three. What happens is the focus of our faith, it shifts off of Christ. And again, through false teaching, through ignorance, or just flat out unbelief and pride on our own, we shift our faith from the cross and what Jesus did for us there, and we start looking to other places. We start, we start depending upon something else other than what Jesus did for us at the cross. We start trusting in ourselves. We start trusting in a program. Pastor so-and-so said, follow this program and you'll have victory. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I, I guess it's the program. But get this, the program is not in here. Get that. The program doesn't fit within the boundaries of the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The program is in the flesh. I had my faith in the finished work of Calvary. Minister so-and-so said, uh, it's, in a, it's in this, three steps. and It's in three steps. And I put my faith out here. But you see that three steps, or get this, anything other than my faith and my focus being in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did for me, because I couldn't do it myself. What he did on my behalf, it's out there. It's out there, it's in the flesh. It's in the flesh. This is in Christ. This is in the spirit. This is in his grace. That law sets the legal parameters, but get this secondly, now that I am in Christ Jesus, now that we are in Christ Jesus and we're a child of God, we are saved. This same law that led us in 
Also, now it gives the Holy Spirit the legal right to make, all, to make real to me all that I have in Christ Jesus. Get that? In Christ, you turn to Romans chapter five and verse two if you would please. Romans five verses one and two. We've only got a few minutes left. But get this, in Christ Jesus, you and I have got everything that you and I need of. We need everything. Get that? You and I have everything we need in Christ Jesus. It's right here. It's in what he did for us at Calvary. And this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will enable, when we follow its requirement, which I'm, I, I, I'm not saying it well this morning, but the only requirement, the only requirement of this law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there's only one, and that requirement is faith. And this is what we're getting to, Romans chapter five, and verses one and two, where Paul said this. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access, you see that? By whom also, by whom? By Jesus, and what he did for us at the cross, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This morning, he said, or in, in, in Romans 5 and verse 2, he said, by, by whom, Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace, he talked about, was all the benefits of Calvary. It's all the benefits of the cross. It's all the benefits of what is in Christ Jesus. Again, in Christ Jesus, we've got everything we need. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? We have every, and that's not, a play, that's not a play on words. That's just the way it is. We've got everything we have need of in Christ Jesus. Now, we haven't received everything that we've got and has been provided because we're a work in progress. Amen? But get this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, as we believe as our faith is resting in the finished work of Calvary, what he did for me, and not trusting in my flesh, not trusting in my works, not trusting in anything else other than what he did for me, Jesus. What happens is it gives the Holy Spirit the legal right to make real to me everything that I have in Jesus Christ. The victory over sin, all this sin nature, peace, the love, the joy, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, every, even the material needs that I, every, the material things that I have need of, it's all right here in Christ Jesus. You get that? It's all right here. And it's made real to us through our continued faith in what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish we had more time. But this is a lifelong work. You get that? A lifelong work. That's what Paul meant when he, when we talk, when he talked about in Colossians 2, 6. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. Keep your faith anchored in Calvary. Romans 1, 17, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Keep your, live by faith. Keep your faith anchored in what Jesus did for you at the cross. 
That's what gives the Holy Spirit the legal right to make real all the benefits of the cross. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray that God, that you would open our eyes. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that our eyes would continually be open to all that you've done for us at Calvary, dear God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And Lord, we just believe in you, Lord, for greater things to come. That you would, Lord, progressively make real all the benefits of the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for it. And we say it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We'll praise the Lord.